kind of resting in this opening scripture for a while. In verse 13, Mark chapter 2, and he went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him, and, and he was teaching them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. I guess what I'm trying to make us understand is what Jesus really means when he says, follow me. Uh, we read this and sometimes we can read by it. But those are very, very powerful words, follow me. Let's pray. God, I thank you for everything that you've done, that everything you're doing, and for waking me and speaking to my spirit. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would touch each heart and that we would grab a hold of what you have for us, that we wouldn't settle just for life and living, going to work, paying our bills, although those aren't essential that we need to do that, but God, there's more to life than that. And I ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes or understanding to see that your will, there's no roof, no ceiling to your will, your desire to do things through us. There's no limit on what you want and can do through people who are willing. So I ask, Holy Spirit, that you touch each heart, each mind, move in their lives. In Jesus' name I pray. We all said amen and amen. Doing the difficulties of, of God's will. Yeah, um, it, 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 it's almost like an oxymoron because in us, it's hard to do God's will. But Jesus says his yoke is easy, it's light. So we found some personal things that I think that, that cause the biggest, biggest difficulties. It's not God's will. What happens, we all have personal plans. Does, does not everybody have a personal plan? And so what happens is, is God has a will. And for some reason, we want God to adjust his plans for our plans. And that's where the difficulties arise. God has his plans. And we looked at five main reasons. We've been looking at several. We've covered three of them now. Uh, of, of why doing his will is challenging. Uh, we have to submit to, to God and and in that process of doing his will, there's also a submission to authority, people. That's hard to do. And it's difficult at times to submit to God, right? And we, we claim to do it, but we, don't, we never see God. So if you cannot submit to a person that you do see, then you're kidding yourself if you think you can submit to a God that you don't see. That's how God trains us, develops us. Another thing that hinders us is we don't know God's plan in advance. He doesn't give us an itinerary, let us know where we're going. He doesn't tell you what time. He just does. Uh, I, I like to say God does, have, does tell time, and his time is always the same. It's now. Amen? When God wants you to do something, it's now. He doesn't bring something to your attention so you can think about it. He wants you to do it now. 
We don't know God's uh, plan in advance. And in fact, we lack the perspective to understand why God uh, does what he does. Even if he told us, for some of us it would be too much. For other, others of us, we couldn't figure it out. And, and then it would cause us to stumble. So God just says, just follow me. See, a submitted person gives up the right to shape, to shape their life. They say, God, you shape my life. Because his decreed will is absolute. Uh, it's not up negotiation. It's unchangeable. It's unconditional. He has a, a, a job, and he's going to do it. Really, and I'm going to talk about this in more detail, we have to be willing to sacrifice. And, and the more you're willing to sacrifice, the more you'll see God. The more you'll do. See, we can, see, we can serve God wherever we are. However, we're going to reach a crossroad in our lives. Huh? And, and we talked about that crossroad where God's going to say, I want you to do something. And it's not going to gel real well with what you want to do. He's going to want you to do something. That process I'm talking about is determined by the Bible, the Holy Spirit, wise counselors, and, and an inner peace. That process brings us towards what I call it a crisis of belief. A point in faith where, where your faith, or rather, a point in time, rather, where your faith and action join. Because we can all talk a big talk. You know, I, I hated people who talk big talks. I, but, I, I just talk, talk, talk. But when it's time to do it, you know, they ran with their tail between their legs. We have to, a point in time where our faith, what we say we believe. We believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. We believe that he's coming back. Prove it. Oh, wait a minute. What do you mean prove it? What you talking about? God, the Holy Spirit, will bring you to that point, a crisis of belief of where the, the act he's going to ask you to do is going to be beyond, be beyond your understanding, beyond your capabilities, and he's going to tell you, do it. Then you have to determine, it. do you want to do it? A place where God is, will ask you to do what seems impossible. The time you, where you answer the question, and do you believe enough to follow Jesus? See, the not knowing, the not knowing what God wants for our life is very difficult. That unknown, I don't know, man. Do I do it? What's going what's gonna to happen if I do it? What, what if I step out like that? What is really going to take place? Listen, my friend, you come in a great place if you're like that because that is called faith. And the, the just shall walk by faith. So we're stubborn people. Amen? Okay, let me, God bless two of you, the rest of you. We're stubborn people, and we often unknowingly challenge God's sovereignty. So in other words, we say, well, I want to serve you, God, but I want to serve you this way. I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do this. We have a negotiation process, and we want to, we want to begin to challenge God's sovereignty by telling him how you want to serve him. God alone is, is, is qualified to be in charge, for he's perfect, untouched by outside influences. We, on the other hand, are not imperfect, and we are, we are always prejudiced by our upbringing or, or where we're working or, or what we see or who we hang around with. Huh. Our lack or one's lack of character, not that anybody here has a lack of character, but if you know anybody, have them go on our webpage to look at this message. Our lack of character, bad attitude, or lack of discipline deafens a person to God's voice. God's speaking. He speaks all the time. 
But we don't hear because we have certain things that are blocking us from really understanding what God is trying to tell us. But be assured, deaf to God's voice will make your journey with him very difficult. See, difficulty will come but they begin to fade when we submit. We become God's servant, a bond servant, a free will servant, a Christ-centric believer. And we look for God to be at the helm. And we will follow him on our path of discipleship. We'll follow him on the roller coaster ride of stormy seas. And believe me, be assured, when you're walking with Jesus, there will be storms. The following five principles are concerning God's will. We cannot know God's will right? If we do, uh, we'll hold on to excuses to not do it. Number two, we cannot accomplish his will if we look at our frailties. If we look at who you are, it can be very hard to convince yourself that you can do what God called you to do. So don't do that. Three, we believe that while walking in God's will, and this is fact, we are invincible. When you're walking with God, and you're doing what God planned you to do, nothing will happen. God will protect you. I'm reminded of the story of Paul, because he was in God's will, and he went to an island, and the Bible says that snakes, poisonous snakes, bit him, and he didn't die. And the people on the island were so amazed that they began to worship God because he was supposed to die because those snakes were poisoned. Now, don't go out there and get bit by a rattlesnake, because that's not what you're called to do. But it was an example. God had Paul a plan for God, and in the middle of that plan, that snake was not going to stop it. God had a plan for him. Now, the, the key to that is you better get into God's plan. Because if, you, if you're not in God's plan and you get bit by a snake, chances are you're going to die. Hmm? Get in God's plan. See, and for we succeed because of God's blessings, not our effort. We, we're going to do something, but it's God's blessing that gives us success. But today I want to talk about sacrifice. We will grow and accomplish great things if we're willing to sacrifice. Sacrifice, the offering up of sacrifices, it's a divine institution. It didn't originate with man. After Adam fell, God made an animal sacrifice to clothe him. We all know that story. And, and when we look at these animal sacrifices, it wasn't just something to, to occupy space and to complete a, a volume that God was writing. There was meaning for these sacrifices, right? The language and the ideal of sacrifice pervade the entire Bible, from the beginning from Adam and Eve to the end, to Christ's ultimate sacrifice, to Paul's sacrificial living. And if you go beyond uh, the Bible and look at all Christian fathers and people who have done great things for God, every one of them had sacrificed. There was a man by Dr. Livingston, and he did ministry work in Africa. This is back in the days where they didn't have Facebook or, or supersonic jets and, and all the, the luxuries of today. And he would travel to Africa, and he'd come back to Great Britain, and he goes before these great audiences, and he's telling them his stories of, of what God was doing in this foreign land where, where people were worshiping animals and, and sacrificing animals, and they were just ungodly pagan people. And the people were so amazed by what he was doing, and they asked Dr. Livingston, Dr. Livingston, what is, how is rather the easiest way to get to where you are at? 
Without hesitation, Dr. Livingston said, if you're looking for the easy way, don't come. See, sacrifice is where God moves in power and might. In eight, Genesis 8.20, Noah, he built an ark to the Lord and, and he took all these animals and clean birds and he sacrificed burnt offerings unto the Lord. And the Bible says the Lord smelled a pleasing aroma he was just by frying meat. Now, you got to admit, when you fry a ribeye, that, that smells pretty good, right? I think you should make a cologne, rib ribeye cologne, because it smells so good, amen? But God loved the smell of that meat cooking, right? But these sacrifices were shadows of things to come. They weren't just doing it because they were bored. There were specific reasons why they did these sacrifices. Today, our, our faith in Jesus Christ, his sacrifice brings us into a right standing before the Lord. But why this sacrifice, this bloody sacrifice, the beating of God? See, we're all, we all come under the sacrifice for sin, which is the cross. And if it wasn't for our sacrifice, we'd all be destined for hell. See, sacrifice is two kinds, really. You have one that's called unbloody. And we talk about this often, the first fruits. You bring, if you're a farmer, you bring your first fruits unto the Lord, to the temple, or your tithes and offerings, right? They have, they have drink offerings and incense offerings. And these are unbloodied, but these are nonetheless offerings. And, there, and there's a deeper meaning with it. Well, I ain't got the time to cover that. Then you have bloody sacrifices, burnt offerings, peace offerings, sin and trans, trespass offerings, where they, 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 they take the animal and they, they butcher it. And you have to understand, this is not a pretty sight. My son was a butcher, and he used to work at, down here on, on, on West Colorado where they used to butcher animals, and they butchered cows, and they would, they would skin the, 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 the hide off, and they even butchered buffalo. Every now and then, a, they would escape, and you'd see it on the news, you know, on, 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 the, on the TV news that they had to shoot the cows because they were running wild in West Colorado. Well, they, they came out of where Johnny used to work. But that's ugly work. It's bloody. It's not a pretty sight. And see, God said, I want these type of sacrifices for me. Bloody, ugly, gory. Why? Huh? So there are so many bloody sacrifices described in, Bible, in the Bible. But our nature makes it difficult to know God's will for our life. And that's the issue over here. When he's talking to Abraham, I'm going to use Abraham as an example. In Genesis 15, 8, he said, Abraham... Abraham said, to, and he's having this conversation with God, and he goes, oh, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it, right? God gave Abraham direction, but he doubted it. And, and, and this shows that our nature, we, all of us, we have a duplicity of faith. We, we, one day, we, we could believe God for anything, right? The next day, why, God, why? Right? See, we, that duplicity means uh, deceptive, disloyal, deceitful. That's the type of faith that men have to walk with and we have to learn to get rid of. But it's a part of us. It doesn't happen. It won't leave us just by magic. It takes work. It takes a lot of little sacrifices to get us to the real sacrifice. So we all suffer from duplicity at times. Previously, God told Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. Now, remember, Abraham was an old man. Right? He had no help. 
Viagra wasn't invented, so he was in trouble. So you're going to have a son. He goes, no way, he's old. And then Sarah's like, ah, ha, 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 I'm not going to have a son. I'm too old. My womb is dead. But Abraham believed him. What? That's why Abraham was kind of a man of faith, because God said, I'm going to give you a son. And without hesitation, Abraham believed God. Oh, God just told me I'm going to have a son. And he's, he's you know, well past uh, having a children. And he believed it. Then you look at the story, right? Well, let me b b back up first before I get ahead of myself. Even though he and his wife were past childbirth and age, he believed. Then in Genesis, rather, in Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous, not because of what he did, just because he believed. Because Abraham, if you look at the story of Abraham, he was a liar. At times, he was a coward, right? And so, kind of like us, amen? But because God told him something so far-fetched, and he believed it, God, because of that, I'm going to give you righteousness. Our faith, his faith, right? Immediately after this promise, God says, I'm going to give you wealth. What? I'm going to take you into this land, and you're going to possess this land. I'm going to give you, and he promised him all this stuff, and Abraham said, well, that's heavy. You would think. Abraham says this. Instead of believing God for that, he says, how can I be sure that I'm actually going to get it? Duplicity. See, he can believe God for the inconceivable. You're going to have a baby. I believe. Now, I'm going to give you that land. How do I know? See, in my mind, that can't matter. How does that, how does that happen? But it often happens to us. That's why God begins to show us great things in our life, what you're able to do. And one minute, you're like, I can do it. And the next minute, you get a turn-off notice on your electricity, and you say, oh, God, what are you going to do in my life? Oh, what's going to happen, Lord? Then we begin to doubt God. We can believe God for the inconceivable, but for the things at hand, we don't believe God for. And it happens continually, right? Here's the deal. God's plan will always be attacked by doubt. Always. The moment, in fact, I'm going to say this. If you have a God plan, if doubt is not there, then it's probably not God. Why? Because the evidence that you're walking in faith is doubt is present. Because you walk despite the doubt. You don't understand, you don't believe, but you're still going to do it anyway. Hello. Mm -hmm. See, even if you claim to have faith, duplicity allows doubt into your mind. Uh, and we've all been, I've been there. You, you know, you, you believe God for great things, and all of a sudden, the, the pressures of life get to you. You're like, you're beginning to doubt, I can't make it through this. And it's, it's really, in God's eyes, it's nothing. Because we're believing God for great things. And then this thing happens. But it, the reason it, 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 happens, it, it hurts is because it's an immediate activity. It's right in front of you. But the thing you believe in God that's so great is yet to arrive. So we have to be able to believe God for the, for the now, no matter how bad it looks, no matter how bad it gets. You have to believe God for the now. And once you learn to believe God that nothing is going to harm you, that God is going to see you through, it prepares you for what he has for you. 
And most people never get to what God has for them because they never conquered their doubt of the now. Sacrifice and knowing God's will for our life. Genesis 59. Let's all turn there. Talking to Abram, Abram has a doubt. How do I know God? The Lord said to him, bring me a heifer. A heifer is a female cow, and a bull is a male cow. That's for those of you who don't know. A goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him. Now God tells him, cut them in two, and arrange the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Verse 11, then the birds of prey came down on the carcass, but Abram drove them away. Now, you got to understand this. If you've ever been to a butcher, you should go there to really understand what he meant, what God said. Now, I don't know how they did it, because nowadays we have band saws, where if you go to a butcher and they'll cut it, they didn't have band saws. So somehow... These men had to get that cow, and I know the cow wasn't like, you know, standing still. Go ahead, right here, right in the head, no. Somehow they had to corral that cow and cut him in half. Imagine the scene. They're, they're in church. They're in church. Come imagine if you came to Victor Irish, Colorado Springs, and we're gonna, in church right now, and I'm going to have to cut you in half, Tony. You, and I, come here, you cow, you heifer, you. And I took him up here, and I began to saw him in half. The blood, the guts, the ugliness. Are you with me? You see the picture? That's the picture. When we read it, oh, nice, a cow, they cut in half. How lovely. No, no, no. It was gory. It was, some of you would not be able to remain in the house if we did that right now. Has ever, anybody ever uh, gutted an animal or, or, or skilled? Right. And some of you can't even clean a fish. You get a truck. Uh, 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 just kill, cut the fish in half, take the head off. What's the, you know, but oh. Uh. Right? They did that in church and bam, and they split it in half. The doves, cute little doves, now they, they were dead. So they probably had to get the dove and like, you know, have you ever done a chicken? You get the little love and you go, what does that do? Snaps the neck. Oh, you would be so, yeah, God said, get the dove and put him on the altar. Get the pigeon, put him on the altar. Now you see the picture? It's a pretty gory picture. Abraham, you want to know why you're going to enter the promised land? I'm going to bless you. Get a cow, cut it in half, get the dove. Let's, put, let's get down to business right now. I'm going to show you something. You see the picture now. The sacrifices are up or offered up to confirm the promise of God. God said, bring that, and I'm going to show you something. Then he begins to tell them that your heirs will be like the stars. Abraham's listening while the offering is being burnt up, just being in fire, consumed. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. Abraham began to move in faith. And in Genesis 15, 7, the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the earth of the Chaldeans 
to give you this land as a possession. You have to understand the Ur of the Chaldeans right now is modern-day Iraq, probably somewhere near Baghdad, the Ur land of the Chaldeans. He goes, I called you out of that to take you to the promised land. I didn't just call you out of there because I was bored and I wanted to keep you busy. I have a plan, and your plan is going to do this. So irrespective of how good you are, how bad you are, how courageous you are, how stupid you are, whether you believe me or not, I have a plan, and you watch what I'm going to do. I took you out, and despite you, I'm going to give you this land. That's how he's telling them, right? Then what happens? He says once he does that, he said, the birds of the air, the birds of prey. Some say uh, vultures, scriptures. Some say crows. We're not, but it was a bird of prey that would come down because it seen the carcass. Now, could you imagine a bird flying around? Mmm, carne asada, right? So they look and they come down. So what does Abraham do? The Bible says that he begins to attack the bird of prey to keep it away from the sacrifice, the birds of prey. Look to your neighbor and say, birds of prey. Remember I said bird brains. Right? The birds of prey came down. This is where we see duplicity of faith. The birds of prey came down. What? The doubt begins to set in. We accept the spiritual by faith, but the natural, we need proof. Abraham accepted the spiritual your seed shall be like the stars. Ooh, heavy, the spiritual. But the natural, I need proof. Show me. All right? So the birds break them down, and it says there, Abraham said, Oh, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of you? That word fowl comes from the word is I eat. It's a hawk, a bird of prey, a ravenous bird. These birds were known to rush upon uh, this prey. But to better understand when, when the Bible says birds of prey and to really understand what it means, Jesus hinted, actually described exactly what he meant in Scripture when he talks about birds of prey. Go to Luke chapter 8. And it's a very familiar portion of Scripture. Jesus is describing, and he often used stories. And if you read the Bible, the Bible is really a series of, of stories. It, it, it was created and written to the Eastern mind. And, and what happened when the Bible came west, we ruined it all. And then we begin to put numbers and chapters and everything. Why? Because the Western mind is very analytical and needs everything framed in, in a certain logical form so that we can turn, would you please turn to the book of Luke, chapter 9 and verse. And, we, and so it's very Westernized so we can understand it. But the Eastern mind could care less about numbers. They wanted to hear stories. Oh, they were story-oriented. And so Jesus talking to these people. He said, a sorrow went out to sow his seed. Luke chapter 8, verse 5. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And it was trodden down. And it says, and the fowls of the air devoured it. See, it's the same word. It's the same, 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 same um, spiritual context where he's talking about birds of prey. The fowl of the air. So now, 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 like us, when we first read it, and the disciples were probably listening to the story, and they're probably saying, well, what, the, what does that got to do with what we're about? Well, what the heck is he talking about now? I have a habit of always telling stories when I share things, right? His one brother says, there you go again. You're always telling me a riddle. 
Call me the Riddler. Amen. So they're all confused, and Jesus begins to explain to him what the birds of prey are. And he says in verse 11, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. The seed fell, that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message, only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. See, lies are intended to kill faith. Lies are intended to kill faith. So you got to look at this story and look at that in, in light of Abraham's story. Abraham is making that sacrifice, and God is giving words. I'll give you a promise. Here's the promise. The first one is you're going to have kids, number like the stars, your descendants. The second one is I'm going to give you this lamb. I'm, pro- I'm giving you a promise. And what happens as the sacrifice there, because God is going to confirm his word through sacrifice, the bird of prey come down. Why? Because it's trying to steal, it's trying to lie to you, it's trying to confuse you and bring doubt. So what does Abraham do? The picture is great. He sees it and he fights it off. He's fighting it off. See, when God gives us a promise, when God gives you a promise, don't expect everybody to like it. In fact, when you start walking in God's will, don't expect it to be Shangri-La. The moment God, Jesus was released into his will, it said the Bible said the devil took him to be tempted. The moment that Joseph had a dream and God told him this is what's going to happen to you and he, he began to give him a dream. The moment he shared his dream, his brothers sold him into slavery after wanting to kill him, after he found God's will. So the moment you find God's will, the fowl of the air are going to come and attack your mind. That's why most people don't reach God's will. Because they don't fight off the foul. They allow it to sit. See, lies take you off track from God's will of your life. Lies are intended to stop sacrifice. See, faith and sacrifice are synonymous. No faith, no sacrifice. No sacrifice, no faith. The foul prevents you from believing and being saved, the Bible says. Believing that word is pisteo, which means to have faith by implication to entrust especially one's spiritual well-being, to entrust, to commit. I remember Pastor Ed, one time he was talking to pastors, and he was talking more specifically to his pastor because he had sent out several dozen men out into the field. And I'm, I'm, on, I'm a bystander just listening to what he's saying. And he says, you guys, do you trust me with your life? I'm like, hey, that's heavy. I barely trust me with my life. Trust. Trust. Huh? See, the foul of the air will tell you, boom, ah, don't do it. Boom, ah, don't do it. Boom, they'll come and they'll attack the promise that God has given you. Or being saved, that word being saved comes from the word sozo. Sozo, the primary word, it means to save, to deliver, to protect. That's where we get, you know, you look at uh, that old uh, person being stranded on, on, a, on an island. You ever see that? They're, they're stranded in the South Pacific on an island, and, and the planes are going by, and, and they need help. And what do they write in the sand? S. O. S. Right? That's where we get sozo. Help me. Save me. Deliver me. See, it's the foul of the air that attacked the sacrifice. Your sacrifice, 
if you're not a tither the first time you tithe, you think the devil's going to be happy? Oh, yay, he's tithing. No. Why? Because that's the first step towards your promise, and immediately he's going to attack you. You stupid. Why are you giving them their money? They don't, don't give them nothing. Don't, and they're going to attack you and attack you. Why? Because it wants to destroy your promise. It wants to keep you out of God's will. Don't do it. The fowl of the earth. That word sozo not only means to be saved, but to heal, to preserve, to be made whole. Faith and sacrifice, that's righteousness. Huh? So Abraham believed the Lord, and the Bible said he credited it to him as righteousness. Verse 11, then the bird of prey came down on the carcass, but Abraham drove them away. So all must endure the believing test. Or rather, I, I should say, the unbelieving test of the mind. You're not going to get your promise unless you go through that. Unless you doubt everything that God said or even this preacher said. And then somehow you fight it off and you begin to trust. And once you step past that, you watch God begin to move in your life. Watch it. I've seen it a thousand times with pastors, well, my friends, going all over the world because we had a trust. I remember the first time I came to Victor Island, I had a trust. That guy, are you kidding me? They said he was a drug addict from New York City, Puerto Rican, and Italian. Well, that made it even worse. How in the heck do I do that? Right? But we had a trust. So I had to fight the mind. I had to cast the file of the air and say, no, God, you brought me here. I, I knew this. I came into this ministry, and, and one day I was running and gunning and doping and drugging and doing all kinds of mess, and the very next day I was delivered and never touched anything. That was July 21st, 1985. Boom. I knew that. So I, I had to fight. That's what I, I grew up, grabbed onto because I was doubting, doubting. Doubting, what's happening? Doubting, doubting, doubting. I go, no, God, but I know one thing. When I came here, I was messed up, and something happened to me. Something, something touched me. The Holy Spirit got a hold of me. So I don't care about all those lies. I don't care about all that mess. I'm going to follow this man because he, he is the one that helped me find Jesus. He is the one that's given me a purpose. So I'm going to follow this man. I'm going to fight through the doubt. I'm going to do what God called me to do. I had to fight. I had to fight through the doubt. Huh? Is it easy? Of course not. It's not supposed to be easy. You have to trust the process. And here's the good news. After you do that, it gets worse. Because uh, after you endure the believing test of the mind, then you have to struggle with the flesh as it raises its head. The flesh. Ooh, the flesh is mean, dude. Because right after this, right after this happened, what does Sarah do? Oh, Sarah, Sarah, smile. She comes up and says, Amy, baby, what? We're not going to have no kids. Remember, God promised him, and Abraham believed. Then he comes to here, but God, how am I going to possess his land? He, he, the sacrifice and all, all that I went through, he went through it, and right after, the, the very next day, there she is. I got a plan, Abe. 
Why? What's the plan? And since I'm too old and, and I, you know, God can't really do it, even though God told Abraham, I have a present for you. Here is my nice, new, younger version woman to have your baby. Wow. Could you imagine that if that happened to Victor Outreach? Huh? Instead of Abraham being a man of God, said, I rebuke you, woman. He said, tequila, all right? He was ready to go. The flesh, here's a spiritual giant. Believe God. The, he did a sacrifice, the fire of the air, and then all of a sudden, Hagar. I mean, coming out. The flesh. That's what happens. You, you accept your call, and the devil ain't going to give up that easy. Oh, you're going to take me to the call. Okay, let me see how bad you are. I have seen men of God, better men than me, big old guys, you know, rugged, have great cause, get taken out by the devil by a girl about five foot one, 115 pounds. Bye-bye. See you, buddy. Later. The devil couldn't get you, but Scary Mary did. I've seen it. Not only have I seen it in people who are coming up, I've seen it in pastors, elders. I've seen it, and we've all seen it. Have we not? Why? Because every man, every woman has to not only pass the test of the mind, they got to pass that test of the flesh. Why? Because God doesn't want to give you a promise if you're a flesh monster. You'll ruin, you'll defame uh, 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 the name of the Lord. You got to prove, you have to prove yourself. I tell everybody, you got to make your own bones. You're going to have to go through your chest. You have to make, and you have to pass it. Most men, that's why they don't fulfill God's call. Because they're, they're too busy fulfilling something else. That's, that's it right there. Ladies, look at your men and slap them. No, I'm just kidding. Now, Sarah, Abraham's wife, born with children, verse 1 of chapter 16. She had an Egyptian maiden named Hagar. And she said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has preserved, prevented me from bearing children. Go into my maid. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarah. See, men will always listen to women. It is, ladies, you guys are powerful. More powerful than a locomotive. Faster than a speeding bullet. I mean, you make Superman look like jelly. You know what I mean? You guys, because the tools that women have available to them can make any man fall to his knees. That's why I, I, I tell men, you better be men. And follow God. You notice I came over here. We have to. This is a real deal. We want to fulfill our promise. We can't let our mind or the flesh hinder what God has called us to do. And we all know, we come on, look around. Affairs. But now it's not just men and women. Now it's men and men and women and women. We don't, they don't know what's going on. Right? Have pastors sleeping with guys. Are you kidding me? Flesh. Hmm? 
See, the sacrifice, your sacrifice, I'm coming in for landing, is done at the altar of your heart. That word heart, it's mitzbeah. And it means to slay, right? To slay a structure of the earth, to slay, to break it down, to kill, butcher, assassinate. We got to commit spiritual suicide to our flesh. Why? Because we want to fulfill God's call. We want to fulfill God's purpose. We can't allow our emotions to dictate who we are and what we do. We allow what the Word of God says, what God's promise says, and we stick to it no matter what anybody else says. I'm going to do what God called me to do. And if you don't like a woman, tough. Ooh, come on now. I felt that one. I'm going to do what God called me to do. My wife knows that. I love my wife. But Jack, I'm going to do what God calls me to do, and I don't care what you say unless you fall in line. We're going to do what God called us to do. That's it. Huh? Why? Because we have to slay the clay. We have to, just like that, that heifer. I should bring everybody up here right now and just start cutting you in half. Got to slay the clay. What's that flesh monster? There's two people in you. I'm going to slay both of them. Put them up and just slice wide. And notice how they took the animal and they split it in half. It is so visual to me. Why? Because there's always a duplicity of mind. There's always two of you. There's never one of you. There's always two of you. So God cuts the offering in half. So we all got to be cut in half and deal with both sides. Slay the clay. The symbolism is we have to put our lives on the altar of sacrifice and kill it. Otherwise, it will kill you. So the anointing of God is like a fire. And you know, I've asked people, do you want the anointing? Oh, yeah, I want the anointing. You really want the anointing? Yeah, I want the anointing. The anointing of God is an all-consuming fire. So when we want the anointing of God, it means that fire's got to come down from heaven and burn all the crap in you. Crispy the critter. Chicharrones. Carne asada. I made a steak this morning. And I cooked it well done. I don't know why I don't do that normally. But I was just into this message. Well, I'm going to cook this sacrifice. My wife said, comes out, what are you burning? I'm making me a steak. And it was like burnt, huh? I was like, I want to burn it. Sacrifice! Huh? I did. Slay means to kill, eliminate. Oh, I love that. Butcher. Hmm? The anointing. Genesis 15, 17. I'm going to end with this, I promise. It said, when the sun had set, Genesis 15, 17, and 18, the darkness had fallen. A smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared. Now, you got to understand the picture. We're, we're talking about the altar where the animal's at. Okay, Jose, Larry, come here, Jose. Come on. Come here, Larry. You got to see us. Let's assume they were one at one time, my heifers, and I cut them in half, right? And I put half here and half there. There's a sacrifice. Now it's nighttime. And the Bible says a flaming pot came down on that sacrifice, right? The fire of God, the anointing of God. But I like what it says. It didn't consume it. The fire of God walked around the altar sacrifice. See, nowadays, God doesn't want to consume you and kill you. 
He wants you to live, be a living sacrifice, Paul says. So he, when you're a living sacrifice, the anointing, the fire of God doesn't consume you. It walks around you. Hey, what's up, Jose? What's happening? You're going to sacrifice? Huh? Around the anointing fire. See, most people don't have an anointing because they're not a sacrifice. The only way to get the anointing, you have to be a sacrifice. Then when you're a sacrifice, the anointing of God will walk around you. Thank you. Huh? When the sun had set, the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, to your descendants, I'm going to give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates. He didn't consume the sacrifice. He walked amongst it. See, sacrifice brings the fire, the anointing of God. And listen, I want the anointing of God here. But the anointing of God is not solely contingent on the pastor. Because I'm doing my best, well, my part, to be a sacrifice. But until you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, until you do your part to be a sacrifice, the anointing does not walk amongst us. It might walk over here. But I don't want it just to walk over here. I want it to walk over there, and over here, and over here, and over there, and over here. I want it to walk amongst us. So once people understand that I need to be a sacrifice, then God will begin to walk amongst us. See, that's following the will of God. When you sacrifice towards the purpose of God, God will walk amongst you. When you give your heart to him completely, not just by mouth, but when your action begins to add up to your mouth, God will walk amongst us. Why? Because now there are living sacrifices in Victory Outreach, Colorado Springs. Said, I'm called to do God's purpose. I don't know what it is exactly, but I'm going to do it. I, I don't know where I'm going, but I know I'm on the right track. I may not know how to do it, but I know God will equip me when I need to be equipped. I don't know. It may be bigger than I can even imagine, but I also know that God will never give me nothing I can't handle. So I don't care how big it is. To God, it's still a midget. And I'm willing to take it on. Hmm? God didn't consume the sacrifice. And my piano player comes forward. He walked among, among them. The, the will of God can mean, no, not can. The will of God means this. It's time for you to sacrifice. It's time for you to put your life on the altar, your heart at the altar. It's time for you to say, God, I'm here. Here am I. If you can use anything, use me. Here am I, Lord. I give my life a sacrifice. I'll do it. If no one else will go, I'll go. If no one else will do, I'll do. If no one else will worship you, I'll worship you. Because if somebody doesn't worship you, God, you'll raise up the rocks to worship you. And I'm not going to let no rock out praise me. I'm going to do what you call me to do. The time in which God is calling you to something greater is now. Not tomorrow. Not when you think about it and pray about it. The time for you to do something miraculous is now. The time to give your heart 
to God and serve him for the rest of your life is now. Will you answer the simple invitation? Follow me. I want every head bowed and every head closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed, the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. God reaching out as a gentleman. Just one singer, just one. Just one singer. God reaching out as a gentleman. Because he's not going to force anybody, like I told you. He's not going to force anyone. He's going to give you an, an opportunity. You take it or not. Then he moves on to the next one. With your opportunity, he'll take your opportunity and give it to the next one who's willing. God is looking for people, living sacrifices, who say, I'll do it. I'll follow you. If that's you, now listen, you don't have to make this altar call. If no one makes it, I'm not going to be hurt. But if God is speaking to you, really speaking to you, then I want to pray for you. The altars are open. 